Hey everyone, and welcome to the South Carolina Grower Exchange Podcast. Every week, agents, specialists, and growers from around the state chat about what's happening in the field and discuss the latest crop weather, insect, disease, and weed issues, as well as timely reminders and information related to fruit and vegetable production in South Carolina. Remember, you can read weekly field updates and register for upcoming events by visiting the SC Grower blog at sccrower.com. So we will go ahead and get started. Thanks everybody for um, being on this morning with us. It is Tuesday, March 30th. Is that right? We're almost into April. Um, and so this morning, um, Dr. Anthony Kynick is going to kind of speak to us a little bit about some work that is um, that he's doing recently with Oxidate uh, and then give us a little rundown of the watermelon spray plan for 2021. So Dr. Kynick, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you and let you give us those updates. Okay, thanks, Sarah. Okay, can you all see this picture of um, alternaria leaf spot on kale? Yes. Okay, um, that is the disease that I used as my test subject for testing the effects of alternaria. And what we did was harvest healthy leaves, at least we assume they were healthy because we did not see any alternaria leaf spots on them. Um, after spraying oxidate two days before. So this was sort of at the end of our biopesticide trial where we really didn't see much of effect of biopesticides on alternaria leaf spot. And so we wanted to see if there was another product that could be used as a post-harvest treatment. So a treatment that you apply in the field right before harvest, which would allow growers to store the kale longer and to keep it healthy. So we harvested healthy leaves, put four leaves from each plot in a Ziploc bag, which did result in 100% relative humidity. So the humidity was certainly higher during our storage period than it normally would be, um, you know, under ideal post-harvest storage conditions. But on the other hand, you have to have humidity if you're going to have disease develop. So these were stored in our cold room at Coastal Rec, which runs about 40 degrees. And so then a week later, I looked at all the leaves and simply counted the ones that had alternaria leaf spot on them. And um, Oh, well, there you see the numbers. Um, so this, we did this twice. So we went out, sprayed oxidate, harvested leaves. Then two weeks later, we went out, sprayed oxidate again, harvested leaves again. And the average you see there with oxidate versus none um, is the average of the two trials. So if we didn't spray oxidate, so we had 70% healthy leaves. <clears throat> when we sprayed oxidate, it increased it by to 73% healthy leaves, which of 
course, it's too small of an increase to be statistically significant. And so I cannot recommend oxidate as opposed to harvest treatment. I don't think it really would have that much effect on alternaria leaf spot on kale. Now, <clears throat> obviously, once the leaves were in the bags in the cold room, they weren't exposed to alternaria. So the disease that developed was either from spores that were that had landed on the leaves but not yet germinated or from tiny lesions that were too small to be seen with the naked eye and that those simply developed whether or not leaves are sprayed with oxidate in these um, humid post-harvest conditions. What I think is a, maybe a more important take-home message from this little study is that Alternaria japonica will develop at cool temperatures. 40 degrees is normally cool enough to significantly slow you know, growth of many foliar pathogens. Um, from some work that was done in Australia, Alternaria japonica is more tolerant and more active at lower uh, temperatures than the Alternaria species we already have in South Carolina on brassicas. So what I think this means is that growers, may, if this pathogen starts to get spread around the state, I think growers will probably see more Alternaria on late season, that is, you know, late fall um, to early spring crops, overwintered crops of brassicas. So this, this trial was done in December in Charleston. Um, you know, and I don't recall what the temperatures were, um, but it, it was fairly rainy back in December. I mean, we, we didn't have any real cold weather in, in December, um, but it obviously was, you know, cooler than, um, than you would expect for Alternaria to develop. Um, the other thing I do want to <clears throat> add to this is that um, since we made our initial report of Alternaria japonica from Lexington, um, my former graduate student has found it on, on broccoli here, um, and is actually here in Charleston um, at the USDA research facility where he now works. So it, this species is also present in Charleston County. Um, now, Rob had sent me some samples from Allendale and I did not find it in Allendale. It was our typical Alternaria brassicae. Um, and those were samples, actually, those were samples, um, I think it might've been in January. Um, so, uh, and they had Alternaria on them as well. Um, so Alternaria, I guess, is not just a warm season pathogen as I had sort of been thinking about it because I had seen a severe case of Alternaria on collard in September in Lexington years ago. Um, the pathogen has a fairly wide temperature range, um, which is sort of typical for most foliar pathogens. They generally can grow at the same temperature that their host can grow. So if you can overwinter um, brassicas, then you will certainly see some of their foliar pathogens at the same time. 
Um, I did do a small economic calculation. Um, if, and the um, slight increase in healthy leaves that you saw with oxidate was worth about $350 per acre. Um, and this is after you account for $35 per acre cost of oxidate. So it is certainly not a treatment that I'm going to recommend at this point because I don't think it's effective enough. But if for growers who are trying to squeeze every dollar out of their kale crop, um, they're not going to lose money by spraying oxidate. But I don't really think that it's worth the time or the effort to use oxidate as a um, a pre-harvest treatment for alternaria on kale. Um, Dr. Kenneth, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, please. Um, so, you know, you're looking at this from a post-harvest standpoint, more or less. Um, what about, I mean, do we have any information or data or do we need to, to gather some? I guess I know we've talked about this through email, but, you know, on using oxidate as a disease, you know, prevention type tool, uh, like a well, can you speak to that just for a second? Well, I think this study already answers that question that it's not going to work because we, the leaves, you know, the leaves were essentially disease-free when they were sprayed. So uh, this oxidate was sprayed as a preventative treatment. Now, I don't know, probably not as much disease would have developed if we had just left the leaves in the field and came back and raided them. Um, you know, because although, you know, we had lots of rain in December and we had lots of relative humidity. And I think um, we certainly would have had some alternary leaf spot develop out in the field as well. So, you know, since this essentially to me was a preventative treatment, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that question's already been answered and no, it's not effective against alternaria as a pre-harvest treatment either. Um, we just, we are doing another round of biopesticide screenings in the greenhouse on kale. And we just finished one experiment last week and set up another one this week. Um, I haven't looked at the data. I'm not gonna look at it until we have both experiments done. Um, there were a couple, there were at least a couple plants that didn't have any disease on them. Um, but I don't know yet if there's any biopesticides that um, look better in the greenhouse or not. Um, okay, so I'll talk a little bit about the um, watermelon spray guide. Um, if I can find it, here it is. Um, so this is, oh, okay, I guess I can scroll here. So this is the actual spray guide part of the um, land-grant press publication. And so there really is only one change that I'm going to make to the spray guide for the 2021 season. And that is we have a new product registered for um, powdery mildew control. Um, and that is called Gatton. It's from Gowan. 
Um, and it's, we've been using it the last couple of years as a maintenance pesticide in our plots. Um, it was registered on all cucurbits except watermelon, but last year they added watermelon to the um, crop list. I think at first they were a little concerned about, they didn't know whether it might cause phytotoxicity on watermelon, and that's why it wasn't originally registered on watermelon. Um, but because it is a new product um, that people haven't been using yet, it should be one of the most effective products um, because the you know, pathogen really hasn't been exposed to it that much. Um, and so I am probably going to drop Quintech on this week five schedule and substitute Gatton right in there um, as a, you know, a, a product for powdery mildew control on watermelon. Are you saying um, G-A-T-T-E-N? Yes, sir. Okay. What's the active on that? And what it's, does it target? Um, the active ingredient, I believe, is flutionyl. It's a group three, frac group three fungicide. So those are sterile biosynthesis inhibiting fungicides. Oh, no, wait a minute. Take, I take that back. Um, it is a frac group U13, which means unknown mode of action at this point. No, so um, so Gatton is is in a different chemical group than all other um, powdery mildew fungicides, which is probably one reason why it's so effective because there hasn't been any selection for resistance yet in the population. Um, but of course, since it's new, we don't really know what the potential is for resistance to develop. Um, there are reports of resistance to Quintech in New York and New Jersey. And I honestly don't feel like it's been working quite as well uh, as the maintenance pesticide in my plots the last couple of years as it used to work. So that's why I'm gonna replace it. Um, Vivando still probably is the, would be the second best fungicide for powdery mildew on cucurbits. Again, because it's one, it's the next newest fungicide. Um, so the other products um, for gummy stem blight control and anthracnose control, um, I've still been doing fungicide trials on those two diseases, but I really haven't found anything that's better than what's already in the spray guide. Um, and so I don't really feel a need to, to make any changes to it. So um, Growers can certainly use the 2020 version that's up on the website until we get the 2021 version um, edited and approved. Um, and we will send that out um, to all growers in an email. And we'll also post that on SouthCarolinaGrower.com for everyone listening. Oh, okay. Um, so are you going to post the current 2020 version, or are you going to wait until the 2021 is up in a couple of weeks? We can wait a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, certainly growers wouldn't need to spray anything for powdery mildew until May. So the old, we have, we have about a month yet um, where the old guide, um, there, you know, is essentially the same. 
Um, any other any other questions about spraying watermelons? Um, we're still trying to get grow. I mean, I there are growers who have told me they use the watermelon fungicide guide. Um, we're still trying to get growers to be, take sort of a middle of the road approach to spraying fungicides on watermelons. Um, you know, with the surveys that we my graduate student did, we had some smaller growers who never sprayed their watermelons, and that is certainly not a recommended practice in South Carolina. Um, but we also had some growers who were spraying four fungicides a week on watermelon, and that is also not a recommended practice in South Carolina because that is not necessary. Um, those growers are using too many fungicides and spending too much money and probably not getting any additional benefit from the additional dollars they're spending. Um, they may feel better because they don't see a single leaf spot in their field, um, but we don't really need to go to that extent to have economic control of um, watermelon diseases. So I will stop sharing in case anyone else wants to. Thank you, Dr. Kanis, for the update on both of those. Thanks for joining in this morning, too. We appreciate it. Sure. So we can go ahead and just do around the table field update. Um, I'll start with uh, Edgefield, Aiken area. So we're, we've got little teeny tiny baby peaches on the trees already. Uh, we've got some cold temperatures predicted for um, Thursday and Friday night, I believe, or when it's supposed to dip down the lowest. At this point, um, it's about 32 on the forecast. I'm not too terribly worried about that. We've still got, still got some later varieties that are in bloom that could potentially be damaged um, by anything below 36. But again, on those trees that are already forming fruit, it really needs to get down closer to between 28 and 30 for it to do significant damage just because the embryos are more protected. So I think we're okay. I don't think we're, um, I don't think we're in great detriment about a loss or anything at this point. I'm not sure about the upstate. Um, I know some of their earlier varieties they might be a little more worried about, but I think we're okay right now. Plus the crop is loaded and growers are kind of delaying doing any kind of bloom thinning or fruit thinning on some of those varieties that don't bear as heavily, just so they make sure that they've got plenty on the tree still. So that's all looking good. Strawberries on track. Um, most everybody is, all the roadside stands, well, with the exception of one, um, who had some plant issues, mainly order issues uh, in the beginning. Everybody's on track to try to open this weekend and have some have some berries available. And other than that, got some spring greens going in, some kale, um, broccoli transplants, things like that. Beds are being made. 
um, plastic being laid for all those later summer crops and everything. I did have a case of, and I, I'm not, I haven't worked with this in South Carolina, but I did have a, um, a grower in North Carolina that had problems with cyclamen mites on their strawberries. I know that's pretty rare. I don't, like I said, I haven't worked personally with anybody here um, who's had that, but I didn't know if any of y'all had had cyclamen mites as an issue. Um, anywhere else, but they think they've got it under control, but I guess the mites are so small that really the only way to find them, the only way they knew they had them this year is because they um, sent off a lot of samples last year, um, so they knew what symptoms to look for in their plants, but I guess the mites are just so tiny that they had a hard time figuring it out last year before it got to be a really big issue, um, but pretty sure they came in on their plants. Um, anyway, that's what's happening around here. Justin, what you got going on in your area? Oh, our, our weather's been all over the place. We've had some really warm days in the 80s with lots of sunshine, and then we've had days like today where it's in the 60s and cloudy. So we'll have a few days where the plants are growing pretty rapidly and then a few days like this where everything slows down again. Um, so because of that, we're a little bit behind on strawberries. Uh, we probably will have very few people open and having any volumes to sell by this weekend. Um, but hopefully that'll turn around soon. We probably will have to put some row covers on this week. Um, last time I looked at the forecast, it was supposed to get to about 34 um, for two nights in a row. So we might have some folks cover. Um, no real spider mite issues on strawberries. Uh, I don't know how to explain that, that other than maybe the rains kept them away. Um, Nebraska's are growing well. We are seeing some diamondback moth issues and, and uh, stuff that was planted in the fall and grew through the winter. Uh, but newer stuff looks good so far. Uh, so as long as we keep scouting, hopefully we can avoid any problems there. Um, that's about it for right now. Yeah, I kind of mirror what Justin said as far as what's happening in the fields. I, I don't think I've ever seen strawberry plants load up like they've loaded up this year. I mean, it's not uncommon to see 40 to 60 blooms plus berries on a single plant. Um, it's just it's just incredible, the, the crop load. But I'm like, Justin, it's, it's like they get going for a while and they kind of slow down. They kind of get going and they slow down. I'm just hoping that when they come off that we don't have – because I think it's going to be a very short season. I just hope that we don't have, you know, a bunch of rainy events around, you know, picking time, because I think a lot of our crop is going to come off, you know, in two to three pickings. Um, but that, you know, Brassicas, we're seeing, you know, a little bit of worm damage. You know, we need to get ahead of that before it becomes a big problem. And um, last Friday, we planted a citrus orchard at the Coastal Research Center. We planted about um, 
10 to 12 varieties um, on Friday and we have about uh, 25 or 30 more varieties we're going to plant next year. The plants aren't quite big enough yet, but we're looking at cold hardiness um, on some of these and we're looking at different rootstock scion combinations. So um, interesting work. I'm kind of excited about it. Um, kind of see, you know, what kind of cold tolerance we get with those. But um, everything from the field is just kind of all over the place, really, as far as stuff growing. All right, Bruce, how's it looking in the PD? Well, uh, I just uh, just came from a peach farm. Uh, it's uh, looking really, really good. Um, they're actually out uh, doing some uh, some thinning right now. It's uh, forecast for, uh, and, and this is in Horry County, uh, forecast is mid upper 30s. So they're, they're feeling pretty safe, you know, to go ahead and and, uh, and go ahead and start thinning. The, um, it looks like, uh, you know, maybe Horry County, uh, for the most part, maybe maybe fine as far as uh, temperature wise. Uh, interior, you know, Marion, Dillon, Marlboro counties, uh, maybe a different story. It looks like uh, maybe forecast is uh, low to mid thirties. And um, a lot of the strawberry growers, you know, uh, that way is, is looking more you know, I'd, I'd go ahead and pull in, uh, pulling covers on them uh, through the frost event. The, um, uh, let's see, uh, blackberries looking good. Uh, probably um, maybe, a, maybe a week or two behind. They're a little, seem like they're a little bit behind where they should or where they normally are. Uh, blueberries, uh, high bushes, uh, full bloom to, to actually, there's, there's some of the early stuff is, is already getting into petal fall. Um, some of the rabbit eyes, you know, this uh, depend upon the variety, uh, can be all over the place. You know, there's, uh, some's maybe 20% bloom and some may be 70, 75% bloom. Um, but, uh, but all of that's looking really good. Um, actually the, uh, talking to, to them, they're not really even looking at, uh, doing any frost protection, um, you know, uh, over, over the next few nights. It's, uh, let's see, uh, spider mites have really kind of, I, I guess I kind of differ from, uh, from Justin, or, you know, as far as uh, what we're seeing up in, up around uh, uh, Marion Horry County is, uh, is spider mites where we haven't had a problem with them all season. They just, uh, all of a sudden they have just exploded. And, uh, and seeing, you know, seeing a lot of them in the old residue. Um, so, you know, it's in the, in the hard to get, portions of the plant so it's uh you know we're dealing with that now, uh right now uh let's see um corn and uh, uh sweet corn and um uh, and uh some peas are starting to go in it's uh got a couple of growers that's uh they they've already pulled the trigger and, and starting to put them in so but uh, other than that everybody's just uh you know taking taking uh uh, the opportunity with with the fields being dry to actually get into into field and start uh, start working working the land getting everything ready. It's uh, you know a lot of folks are they're they're starting to do fumigation and, and hoping to get uh, tomato plants in. Um, hopefully you know right after this cool spell. All right, Bruce. Looks like we're still there. 
Yeah, I'm still here, Sarah. Um, basically, I'd echo what everybody else has been saying. Spider mites and strawberries are not an issue right now. I am picking up a few uh, a few thrips in a place in in places. We're continuing our disease control strategies, utilizing rotations of fungicides and strawberries uh, to just keep grey mold under control. And fruit set looks absolutely astounding on a lot of lot of the plants this year. Um, in terms of blackberries and blueberries, we're about on a par with everybody else um, across the area. Peaches, we've got some really good fruit set with bloom just about all but finished. A lot of growers uh, are, look, are keeping an eye on the weather forecast to look at potentially for crop covers this week uh, and with the forecast cooler temperatures. And the final thing, we've got a few watermelons and cantaloupes gone into the ground. So we're, we're progressing quite nicely down in our area at the moment. And I think that's about it. That is great, thanks. Anybody else got anything? Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, reflex in watermelon. We've been getting some calls from some, I believe it was maybe an SC State agent in Orangeburg, not Mark Nettles, but um, or maybe 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 some of the, I, I, I forget, there's been a couple of calls about reflex and basically herbicide programs in watermelon. And you know, reflex is it's not in the um, vegetable handbook for watermelon production, but you can go to Farm Assist and um, you know get uh, you know, basically the grower have to pull down the 24 uh, 24 C label for the state of South Carolina, and assume the I guess the responsibilities. I've been spraying reflex at 12 ounces per acre under the plastic for three years in Charleston. You have a little higher organic matter than say Stanley Culpepper out in um, Tiffin, Georgia or Barnwell, Blackville. I've not seen any injury, but there seems to be like a lot of people who are worried or maybe they've seen injury with, um, with uh, reflex in the Orangeburg area. I mean, it's Stanley Culpepper whose soils are, you know, lighter than probably lighter than anything we have here in the Tifton area in Tifton, you know, that he makes that recommendation 12 ounces per acre under the plastic. And uh, I'm just, uh, just curious what what you guys have seen if, if, you, if you guys have been having a lot of complaints about reflux in watermelon um, or uh, you know the, the people seem to even be hesitant to spray it over the plastic now if you do spray it over the plastic you do have to have a quarter inch of irrigation event before you plant but I, I guess um you really have to emphasize sprayer calibration with these herbicides and, and specialty crops and I think that's, um, I, I, don't, I mean, I know, uh, you know, I think we've, Extension's done a pretty good job of putting out either like land grant press articles on sprayer calibration. I know you guys have given talks on sprayer calibration, but I mean, if, if it's working in Tifton without injury, it should be working here. That, that, I guess that's what I wanted to, to emphasize. Um, Can you yeah. use that um, reflex without plastic just on bare ground? Uh, yeah, you can do it with bare ground. You you want to like wait till you transplant, probably at least a week or so, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a question while you're here on command um, spraying it under the plastic or on bare ground. Yeah. Isn't command the one where when that second leaf comes out, it kind of bleaches it? Yeah. Yeah. So okay, because um, I get a lot of calls about that, so that might be something that. So commands, um, it's a pretty volatile herbicide, but you're not really supposed to incorporate it. And it's kind of unique. It's not like um, 
a dicamba or an S-mock, which will you know, go up pretty high in the atmosphere and invert it. It's volatile, but it stays kind of low to the ground. So you, you're going you're gonna to see it in like maybe adjacent fields, but it's not going to move too much after that. Mm -hmm. um, but that second true leaf will have some bleaching on it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the calls I get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll grow out of it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, th those are always the the scariest um, herbicides to deal with from an extension perspective or from a company rep perspective because they'll they, they bleach the tissue. Remember, um, was it when yeah, I was? Uh, it terrifies me to recommend it. To be honest uh, with you. <laughs> um, I, I, have, I have a question on for that, Matt. Uh, Matt is is uh, command is, is that clomazone? Yep. Is it is it registered for use under plastic? Um, I don't think so. Is that a question you were asking, Zach? Under the plastic, like it's in like maybe over uh, row middles. I I haven't seen anyone you like like Sinbar, Reflex, Sandia under the plastic. Um, now now another thing to to consider when you're applying herbicides under the plastic, especially if you have heavier soils, is that the carryover potential of the herbicide is going to be a lot greater than it would be if you applied on bare ground. You can um. Uh, you can plant, you can use it immediately after seeding or prior to transplanting. Um, this is the, the well, couple times I've recommended it is on bare ground, Okay. but it doesn't say anything here about plastic. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I, that. But, but we yeah. do use it on bare ground. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, there's, there's going to be a, um, well, I don't know if it's this year or next year. I've been talking about it for like four years. Another, another bleacher herbicide, bicyclopyrone, coming out in watermelon and sweet potato, and that's um, you know, we we haven't seen any injury in the the heavier soils, but I know I think uh, Katie Jennings at North Carolina State saw some injury in her trials with bicyclopyrone. So I think that's not going to be registered underneath the plastic, but it would be a either post direct or you know apply above the, over the plastic and then wash wash off with an irrigation event. But I, I just you know think it's something you need to stay on top of in terms of making sure everyone knows how to calibrate. Um, it's it is difficult with some of these specialty crop herbicides, but you know making sure they're applying the right rate based on their soil type. Um, just uh. I don't want it's a, it's a, it's a really good herbicide. I don't want people to, to not use it because they're you know fearing of uh, having a yield drag. If they apply it properly, this should be okay. Thank you. Yep. Dr. Ward, you got anything? Okay. All right. Well, thank everybody for getting on this morning. Um, thanks for sharing the updates and everything. And uh, uh, hey, Lexi, that's got a friend. Well, if nobody has anything else, we will call it a day and do this again next week. Thank you. Right, hey, Sarah, thanks, I got Sarah. something I know um, you and Justin know, but I don't know if everyone else knows. 
Um, but we went to the doctor this morning. And I don't know if y'all can see that or not. We're having a little baby. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. So, hmm. anyway, we're excited and nervous, and Sarah's going to teach me everything I need to know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. When, are, when she do? Yeah. Uh, end of August. Okay, yeah, I'm sure I'll have it all figured out by then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll have a whopping two months on you. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, cool, y'all. Great. Y'all see you. Mm. See ya. Thanks.